Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on whatever you're listening on YouTube, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube. We're on it all. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. Here with me tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, Penn State Collegiate All-Star, Kevin Adams. Our special guest tonight, we're joined by a 15-year NHL veteran goalie. He's also the current goaltending coach for the Los Angeles Kings. He ranks 68th all-time in wins. 42nd in saves. He's a two-time Stanley Cup winner. If we throw in his coaching, we've got another two Stanley Cups on top of that, so his name is on the Cup four times. He's the MVP of the Canada Cup, the Ice Hockey World Championships, and when you add in his Conn Smythe Trophy as the NHL Playoffs MVP, he's the only goalie in history to MVP in all three of those. So NHL All-Star Bill Ranford. Bill, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. awesome, and thank you for taking time during the, the season to do this. We, we, we really appreciate that. Um, that. I know that's tight schedule for you. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a busy time of year leading into Christmas, but uh, always got time for you guys. Not, not a problem at all. Excellent. Well, tonight's debate, we're going to be debating a, a style that we haven't debated in quite a long time. It's going to be a team versus team, and it's going to be the 1987 Canadian-Canada Cup team against the 2010 Canadian Olympic hockey team. So generational players on both teams, we're going to talk it out by position, see who's better. And then afterwards, as always, we'll have our Q&A with Bill about his career. But we're going to start tonight with 1987 goalies. And I haven't started a show in a while, so I got this one. It's 1987 goalies. So we got Grant Fuhrer, Ron Hextall, and Kelly Rudy. Um, I'm not loving the depth on these guys. Um, Fuhr is fan fantastic goalie. I'll even take Hextall because if I need somebody to like, you know, rush down the ice and start a fight or something, you got to have Ron Hextall on there. But um, Fuhr played all nine games uh, going 6-1-2 and two in, the, in this tournament with a 3.34 goals against average. That was fifth best in the tournament. He did have the most wins in the tournament, obviously, because Canada won. 8.93 save percentage, and that was the fourth best in that tournament. But the 32 goals against was actually the worst. And it, not only was it the worst, it was the worst by 12. So he let in 12 <laughs> more goals than any other goalie. Um, now, Fuhrer was named to the Cup All-Star team despite that. He still was the only All-Star goalie there. So 
And, you know, obviously in his career, he's a, a six-time All-Star. He's got five Stanley Cups. He's got the Vesna. And then we look at their backups here a little bit. You got Hextall, who has a Conn Smythe himself and a losing effort against the Oilers. Um, he's got a Vesna and an All-Star. I think he's a, a very serviceable backup if something had happened to Grant Fuhrer, especially looking at the year of 1987. I'm going to say that was probably Hextall's best year in goal. Um, he almost knocked out the Oilers. Like, that would have been insane. It, you don't see losing goalies get the, the Conn Smythe often, so that was pretty impressive. Um, and then we, we move on to Kelly Rudy. And I'm looking at that, I'm like, how is Kelly Rudy on this team? And that's not like a knock on Kelly Rudy because he had a solid career with the Islanders and then took the Kings to the finals. But why is Patrick Wall not on this list? Uh, Bill, that is my question to you right there just to start off. Why is Patrick Wall not in over Kelly Rudy? Well, I think Patrick was uh, probably was only had one year under his belt, maybe two at that, at that time. So. I think that's what uh, is a big part of it. Um, you know, they probably, a lot of times in those scenarios, the, the third guy, they, um, they may want a, a veteran guy that they're, they're going to be able to lean on, um, you know, but obviously they, they, they had the one-two punch with, with Fear and Hextall. And I think Rudy, uh, Kelly Rudy was just a, a solid choice for a guy that, you know, if push uh, came to shove, they could lean on him as a veteran guy. And I'm going to throw this out here about Grant Fuhrer. He had to play Russia four times in that tournament. Um, I mean, that's – Russia had five players in the top ten for, for goals in that tournament, and that's more than Canada. So that should tell you the firepower he was going against. But, I mean, yeah, the, the, like I, I felt the depth wasn't there. But, I mean, you play with Grant Fuhrer in the 80s. He was the best goalie around in, in the NHL, right? Yeah, I mean, I think when you, you look at, at that era, uh, most of those guys, and I think that's why they they probably changed the format, the the following Canada Cup when I was actually involved with it. Um, we end up with almost a 30-day training camp. Um, back then, they, um, you know, conditioning wasn't, uh, you know, top of the order for a lot of the guys in that, that era. Um, they probably showed up at the Canada Cup training camp to get in shape. Uh, whereas the Russians were probably a fine-tuned machine, and it took took Canada, you know, to get right through the tournament before they started playing their best hockey. And and you know, it's funny. I I, I think I was in training camp, uh, one of my first training camps with with the Boston Bruins at that time, and sitting back there watching it, it was impressive hockey. The the Russians were were loaded. They're a really good team, and and but Canada still still found found a way to to win it. Let's talk about the 2010 goalies. All right, the 2010 Olympic team, Canada, um, you had Martin Berdor, Marc-Andre Fleury, and Roberto Luongo. So despite coming off his first Stanley Cup win, Marc-Andre Fleury, he did not appear um, in any of Team Canada's games that year, did not see any action. Uh, Marty Brodeur, um, he was at that point in the midst of the final season, I would say, of his NHL dominance. Um, he led the league in minutes played, wins, and shutouts that year. Uh, but that being said, at age 37, he was sort of beginning to show some signs of wearing down. And um, his Olympic performance was very subpar for his standards. Um, already played in two games. He gave up six goals. His save percentage was just under 85%. Um, and he was the starter in Team Canada's only loss 
um, of those games that year. And he took that L against uh, Team USA. Um, so then, but then we have Roberto Luongo. And Luongo, he established himself as a perennial all-star um, before that. Um, you know, he kind of displayed that he could carry a team on his back, too, uh, and win in the clutch. Um, he had the record for the most saves in an NHL season, and he had the NHL record for most regular season overtime wins. So that sort of proves that, you know, he was a, he was a guy that, that could carry a team for sure. Um, in, the, in the Olympic Games, Luongo was really brilliant. Uh, he, he was able to shut out Norway. Um, he later, he won a stretch of four consecutive single elimination games uh, against Germany, Russia, Slovakia, and then Team USA to capture the gold. Um, in the final seconds of the game against Team Slovakia, Luongo, he made an amazing save on Pavel Dimitra uh, to preserve the win. And so... Um, uh, in all, Luongo was 5-0 and with a 92.7 save percentage, and he only allowed a total of nine goals. So uh, that, that's the uh, Team Canada 2010 goaltenders. So, Bill, does, in your opinion, is the depth better on the 2010 team than the 87 team? And there was talk that if Cam Ward had been healthy, that maybe he might have been on this team. Carolina was really good at that time period because of Cam Ward. Did you see any of those three goalies he might have been able to replace? Um, I think it would be really tough. Uh, you know, you, you look at uh, Marty Brodeur, he's uh, may go down as the greatest goalie of all time. Um, you know, you can't argue with, with what he's done uh, in the playoffs, regular season. Um, he just, you know, to – game in and game out have to play uh, in front of a team that scores very few goals. And, and, and that, you know, I know they didn't give up a lot of shots, but it's just that pressure of having to play two, one hockey games all the time. That, that was so impressive uh, with Marty Berner's career. And, and I think they, they needed somebody, you know, that, that veteran presence, um, you know, cause he was a proven winner and, and Roberto had, hadn't won anything up to that point. Um, you know, he was really uh, at that time um, establishing himself as as one of the elite in the league, but he he'd never won, and that was the knock on him. Um, you know, at that time that he hadn't won anything, uh, whereas <laughs> Marty Brodeur had won everything. So, um, you know, I think that that's the scenario that that, that you have there. Though, you know, you got kind of got that that one two punch there with, with those two. Poor Luongo, he was buried in Florida all those years you know, before he moved on to Vancouver. That didn't help his cause any. But, all right, let's move on to uh, the defense here. We're going to start it out with the 87 defense. So the 87 defense, they were led by two of the best defensemen to play the game. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying one and two, but I'm saying, you know, easily top five, maybe top ten. Uh, Paul Coffey. Dude, he had already helped Edmonton win three cups leading into this. Two-time Norris Trophy winner. Five consecutive All-Star games going into this Canada Cup. He had Ray Bork. Um, both these guys, Hall of Famers now. Um, then you throw in a, a third guy, Larry Murphy. Uh, we all know Murphy. Hall of Famer as well. Stanley Cup winner. Um, you know, they had some, some other guys that were kind of like – Role players, you know, James Patrick is a first-round ninth overall pick by the Rangers in 81. I represented Canada in the 84 Olympics as well. Uh, Norman Rochefort uh, was also a first-round pick uh, in the 80 draft. 
Uh, Craig Hartberg, he was a first-round, sixth overall pick in the 79 draft. He also played in some All-Star games. He was in the running for a Norris Trophy, um, you know, during his NHL career. Now, TSN, they did an all-time Canada team. Um, and their two top defensemen uh, made the starting line. So, Coffey was on line one and Ray Bork was on line two for the all-time Canada team, uh, based on TSN's uh, picks there. Uh, in the round-robin tournament, uh, this tournament, this this defense, they helped lead this tournament with the least goals allowed. They, they were tied with the Soviet Union in this tournament at 13, which actually led uh, all the teams in this tournament. I mean, they had they had the veterans uh, in those top three defensemen. They had some of these other guys that were, you know, role players and and you know, would be where they needed to be. Um, so, I mean, I, they definitely had a decent defense uh, back in 87. We talk about those role players. Were you surprised to see names like that as opposed to, I'm looking at people who were cut at the last minute, Al McGinnis, Scott Stevens. I mean, Bill, those are big names. I mean, James Patrick, solid defenseman, but that's not Scott Stevens or Al McGinnis. Yeah, I mean, it's it's once again you're you're talking about uh, established defensemen and guys on their way up, and you know you get into those scenarios where you have um, you've already got the you know the coffee and the bork, your offensive guys in Hartsburg, and then then you gotta you gotta round it out. And and back then it was you know you, you looked at you know a, a offensive guy with a defensive guy, and that's that's kind of the way you, you put your pairings together. And I'm sure that's what they're looking at. They they didn't want to go into the, the tournament with uh, six offensive guys and have nobody to be stoppers. And that's kind of, kind of the approach. A lot of times the teams will take at that time, you know, the, the game's changing. Now you're seeing a lot more, you know, three quarter blends and that sort of thing, whatever terminology you want to use. But if you look at those guys, they, there was pure offense and pure defense. And I think that's why the, they had those types of guys there. And we look at the winning goal in that tournament, who was on the ice defensively, Paul Coffey and Larry Murphy. So that, that, that tells you what they, they – you, you got to have somebody out there with coffee who can play some defense. We, we've talked yeah. about him on shows prior. So Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, Larry wasn't necessarily a complete defensive juggernaut, but he was, he was very, very intelligent, a very strong positional guy, you know, and, and, and that was the type of guy that would probably fit really well, right-handed shot, playing with cough as a left-handed shot. You know, so it made sense that you had a, a, a bigger guy um, with with a cough who was small and speedy. Let's move to that 2010 defense. So we got Captain Scott Niedemeyer. So the, the C goes to the defense uh, for that 2010 Olympic team. You know, he had learned a lot from Scott Stevens, won some cups, moved on to Anaheim, won some more cups. Um they went with seven defensemen in, in this tournament, and all seven defensemen played in all seven games. So they were they were dressed every time. Um, you got Dan Boyle, Duncan Keith, Chris Pronger, Brent Seabrook, and Shea Weber. You know Weber out there for that blistering shot, um, and Drew Doughty. Doughty is that younger player that you know we were kind of just talking about with the '87 team that you know he wasn't. He wasn't the, the, the Drew Doughty yet that we we all know now today, you know. So I was kind of surprised to see that he made it in over some of the omissions that I'll mention here in a little bit. Um, reading into it, it, it kind of looked like they were using him. They wanted him to be like the power play specialist. So 
that's kind of why, why they were saying maybe Eiserman had uh, chosen him to get on that team. But um, so you got Duncan, Keith, Weber, and Boyle all had six points each. That was tied for the team lead. Um, Keith and Dougherty were plus six. So Drew held his own even out there doing the, uh, the even strength. So um, now combined, these guys have 27 all-star games combined uh, in the NHL, 17 Stanley Cups combined. So that that's a nice number there. Um, and then Shea Weber was named to the, uh, the Olympic all-star team. So he was one of the two defensemen to, to make that list. Um, I can show you how good he was playing there. Now, I, I, I look over to uh, some of the omissions. You got Mike Green, uh, who was pretty much at that point in his career, maybe the best defensive scoring defenseman in the NHL. Um, I know his defensive side was a little weak, but to not see him on that team was very surprising. And, and Dion Phaneuf, he was a very solid player back then too as well. Um, so I like them as a whole. They do have power play specialists. They have, they have speed. They have puck movers. You got Pronger who's going to hit you. So they had all their bases covered. Bill, what are your thoughts on this defense, the depth, and, and the style that Canada played? They weren't giving up a lot of shots. Well, I think, obviously, the 2010 was a much, much stronger defense. Um, you know, obviously, working with Drew for the last 15 years that I worked with Drew, um, he was there actually on that 2010 team for his defense, not for his offense. They already had the offensive guys. He is a high, high-end defender. One of the best that I've that I've seen when he's on his A game as far as defending, and he basically worked himself onto that team uh, on a into a, a, a regular shift with the quality of play that he had in that tournament. He started off as the seven, and I think he ended up finishing in the top four. Um, he just he he just uh, exemplified defense and and uh, his passing ability, you know, to be able to break out of the zone and then his ability to defend was, was the, the factor that moved him probably from the number seven spot into probably top four. For a 10 year period. Uh, well, at least an eight year period, it was either the Blackhawks or the Kings every year going to that Stanley cup final. I mean, what can you tell us about Duncan Keith and, and Brent Seabrook, the style that they play and, and just how good were they? Well, I think Seabrook was a guy that, that uh, you know, defended well, blocked shots, you know, had a, a great shot from the point, but just uh, and had that ability to not only have the offensive uh, tools, but also have the, the physicality in his game. Um, and then Duncan Keith, uh, he, he had this unique ability to skate the puck off your stick. Um, he almost played like a uh, a forward at times with his ability to sweep across and, and just basically skate the puck uh, away from defenders and um, just a really smart, intelligent guy. Um, not overly big, but um, just used his feet um, to break up plays. And, um, you know, that you look at why they were so dominant for so long, you know, that one-two punch of Keith and Seabrook, uh, it's a pretty scary combination. Well, let's move on to the forwards. We're going to go 87 forwards. All right, the 87 forwards. This was one of my favorite groups I think ever put together. I mean, they were just so stacked. So headed into the Canada Cup, 
They had three-time All-Star Glenn Anderson, Kevin Deneen, who was coming off a break uh, breakout NHL season, three-time All-Star Mike Gartner, uh, the hated antagonizer known as Claude the Mew, uh, Rick Tockett, who was coming off a 40-goal season, Michelle Goulet coming off four consecutive 50-goal seasons, uh, four-time All-Star Mr. Goufaw himself, Brian Probe, uh, Doug Gilmore coming off a 100-point season. Brent Sutter, come, uh, he was part of the tail end of the Islanders dynasty. Uh, three-time All-Star Dale Howardchuk. And four-time All-Star Mark Messier. So that's a pr that's pretty stacked, isn't it? But uh, by the way, I forgot to mention some guy named Mario Lemieux, who was beginning to establish himself as the next great superstar of hockey. And, of course, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, who was the undisputed best player in the world at that point in time. So during the Canada Cup, Mario and Wayne were just unstoppable. I mean, Mario led the world in scoring. I'm sorry, Wayne led the world in scoring with 21 points, three goals, 18 assists in nine games. Mario was second with 18 points, 11 goals, seven assists in the same amount of games. Mario also had four game-winning goals. And the final two were absolutely legendary. Uh, we all know about it. In game two of the final best of three series versus the Soviets, uh, Wayne hooked Mario up with a pass, which he buried to win in the second OT. And then in game three, it was Wayne to Mario again with less than two minutes to go in the game, and they were able to get the gold. So this, this forwards group to me is just off the charts. I mean, two legends together really playing – the best hockey of our lives, really. So it's, this is going to be tough to beat. Bill, you played with a lot of these guys uh, on the forwards here. Um, few omissions was Eiserman, Neely, Cicerelli, Kirk Miller. I mean, they were all pretty young at that point. Um, I'm not sure who they would have been able to replace on that team. But uh, a lot of people forget the fact that Mario and Gretzky weren't on the same line when this tournament started. And in fact, they weren't playing so great, the, the Canada team, until these two were put together. Um, I mean, is that the greatest one-two punch in hockey history uh, on a line there? Well, they're the greatest one-two punch in hockey history, period. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to play uh, with Gretz a little bit and, and against both both uh, Gretz and Lemieux, and um, they were two very, very special players, uh, especially in that era. Um, you know, what can you say? They, they've just, uh, they dominated the league for, for a number of years. Um, yeah, that, that Ford group, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty tough. You're, you're talking about some, a bunch of Hall of Famers, elite um, you could look at just the offensive aspect of all those forwards, but what was unique about that group, I would say, and and don't get me wrong, Brent Sutter was uh, could put the puck in the back of the net, but he was one of the few. Him and Claude were probably the the two uh, most defensive guys in that group. But you had the the ability of of the guys to take on roles, the Mark Messiers to be checkers, the Glenn Andersons to be checkers when needed. And that's what I think made that that group so special is they they um, might have been offensive juggernauts on their teams, but still had the ability to uh, play defense when it mattered. I, I want to ask you about the forgotten man. People who know hockey know him. 
but he is definitely not a household name to maybe the casual fan. And that is the winger for, for Gretzky and Lemieux, Dale Howardchuk. Just an incredible player. Doesn't get the love he deserves. I mean, what are your thoughts on him as a player? Well, he was a great player and a great human being. I was fortunate enough to play with him in the next Canada Cup and um, just did all the little things, face-offs, you know, forecheck, uh, and still was a big-time um, uh, scorer uh, for a lot of years. But that, that's what I said. You had different guys that were able to take on roles, and, and he was a classic example of, of to a guy that would do the grunt work for the other two. He'd go get the puck, he'd do the nasty work, and get the puck to the two skilled guys. And don't get me wrong, uh, Ducky was one was a highly, highly skilled uh, hockey player. But uh, in that aspect, he was he was doing the grunt work for the other two guys. Well, let's finish the players off with the 2010 forwards. 2010, I think, definitely had the depth and all around. Yes, 87 had Gretzky and Lemieux, but. I think all around the 2010 was a little bit farther in depth. You had Bergeron, solid two-way player, ability. He could play center and wing, which means he can could, he could move around and play with multiple people. Uh, he was the only player that had actually history playing with Crosby because they played together in the junior championship uh, during the lockout. Crosby was in debate to actually be listed as the captain, uh, but he ended up being uh, named the alternate. Uh, he's fresh off his two Stanley Cup appearances, winning the Cup in 09, arguably the best player in the world at the time. Um, as well as he's a future Hall of Famer. He's a future Hall of Famer then. He is now still. Um, Ryan Getzlaff, Corey Perry came from Anaheim. They had the chemistry together playing in Anaheim. They were having a great season. Danny Heatley, producer, has the international experience. Eginla, another future Hall of Famer at that point, and he just got inducted in 2020. Um, he was also another alternate captain. He could play anywhere in the lineup also. Um this was his third Olympics. Um, Patrick Marlowe, um, he's up there in, in the argument for most goals by any other Canadian in, in international play. Uh, Brendan Morrow, he was a tough guy. He got his nose in there, played played on the fourth line. Rick Nash, pure goal scorer, premier power winger. Uh, Mike Richards, great penalty killer, if not one of the top penalty killers in the league, um, especially at that time period. And then Eric Stahl. Big body, top talent, proven winger, leader in Carolina. He was their captain. Joe Thornton led all Canadian players with points at 54 and was the NHL leading scorer at the time of this Canadian, um, this, these Olympics. T, uh, and then don't forget Jonathan Taze, captain of the Blackhawks. He was actually the youngest player on the team, and he led them in points. One goal, seven assists for eight points, so averaging over one point a game. At least five of their forwards averaged at least one point a game uh, in that tournament. Uh, TSN's all-time list has 87 uh, Canadian team had four forwards on that list. Only three of them were in the starting lineup. Um, 2010, they had four players on that list, and all four of them were in the starting lineup. Crosby, Heatley, Aginla, and Nash. Uh, they finished around Robin, 1-1-1. One, one, one. Um, they had to play Germany. They beat Germany in they destroyed them, 8-2, to two, uh, in the qualifying match for the quarterfinals. Uh, then they take down <laughs> Team Russia, 7-3 to three in the quarterfinals. And let's see who had who was on Russia. Ovechkin, Malkin, Datsuk, Fedorov, Gonchar, Kozlov, Ilya Kovachuk. They destroyed them, 7-3. to three. They beat Slovakia in the semifinals, 3-2. to two. 
And we all know the match. They go against Team USA in Vancouver, the home country, and they end up beating Team USA 3-2. to two. Crosby got that game-winning goal. Um, you know, in that tournament, they actually uh, tied USA during the round robin in, in part uh, for goals. Uh, they were tied at 14, which was the highest total. So the offensive power was there. Uh, they definitely have the offensive power. Overall, they scored the most goals in the tournament, though, if you count all the playoff rounds and everything. Um, I think the depth on the forwards on this 2010, I just think it was more depth than the 87 team. Um, and that's uh, – I, I think they have a strong argument to beat 87 on this one. So the borderline players who kind of just missed out on that team, Jordan Stahl, Jeff Carter, who was really good back then. Still good today. And, and Steven Stamkos, who was – he, he was on fire that season, but he was very young. And then I believe the biggest omission of any player on any position that we're talking about, Marty St. Louis. Now, there are some things documented about him and Iserman, what might have been going on. They had problems when Iserman was in Tampa as well. Um, but biggest omission right there is Marty St. Louis. He was one of the best players in the NHL by far, uh, especially at that point in 2010. Bill, your thoughts on these forwards? Um, a lot of depth, as Kevin said. And, you know, after your thoughts on those forwards, are you taking the golden goal or are you taking Mario's game winner? I don't know. I, I've, I've played in, in the era with the, with the 87 group and, and, and was just finished, you know, started coaching with the 2010 group. Uh, I think the 2010 group was um, a group that was better matched position to position. You know, uh, six, seven guys that were offensive and five, six guys that were defensive. I think more well-rounded that way. But if you look just mano a mano, that, that 87, you're talking elite guys. You, you can't even – to me, you can't even compare. They, they were elite, elite of, of their group. And that's nothing against the, the, the 2010 group because they, I mean, it was incredible to watch. And, and uh, I, I think when you look at it, who they had to go against, um, you know, that, that team, Team Russia was by far the best team. They, they should have won the 2010. They were, everybody expected them to win it. And it, I think it was an upset when, when Canada beat them. And, and, uh, U.S. you know from from '91 on just keeps getting kept getting better and better and and you knew it was going to be a battle because it was going to be old style hockey smash mouth hockey between the two teams and and that's the way it was and it was a one goal game to 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 win it so um, I don't know maybe I'm just uh, a little bit more uh, behind my era of player but I mean you're talking about the two greatest players uh, uh, that to ever play are, are on the ice and some incredible, incredible guys that had long, long, uh, successful careers uh, that were part of that 87. You know, correct, I don't know. correct me if I'm wrong, though. The 87 team, did they not play on an Olympic-sized rink? Canada Cup? No, it was, yeah. no that, that would have been NHL size. It's, oh. it's, it was played in Canada, all NHL. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, imagine if you gave Gretzky and Mario another five feet of room on each side. Oh, yeah, that would have been crazy. <laughs> yeah, because the Canada Cup, because it was Canada Cup, it was based out of Canada. So the rinks were Montreal. Um, I, I think they were even using Hamilton because I know in 91 they used Hamilton a bit. 
uh, Toronto. So it, it, yeah, it was mainly, uh, it was all Canadian ice services. So there was no Olympic ice. Well, before we vote, let's just take a minute and talk about the competition here of each team. Kevin, you mentioned Russia. Obviously, Russia was the, the big team in 87 as well. I mean, Brian is, uh, you know, you think there was an advantage on either side, in your opinion? I, I would say, I mean, getting back to what Bill was saying, that, you know, that, that Soviet team was playing together a lot more, you know, so I think they established a lot more chemistry than whenever you, you know, you threw Ovechkin and, you know, and, and, and the other Russian guys together, that they didn't really have that same sort of thing to them. So that would give them an advantage. But as far as just like straight up talent, you could make the argument that the 2010 guys were more talented. So it, it's really, really tough to say. Bill, the, you mentioned the 2010 schedule. How good was USA? I mean, they made it to the finals. I mean, that, that says something, but, um, was Russia really better, in your opinion, than USA in 2010? Um, it's one of those things. It comes down. It's it's so hard. It comes down to a, a one one game, you know. And it whoever comes comes out and plays their best game, it usually comes out on top. I you just you just have to look at the names on that that team, Russia team. It was you know incredible. Um, but like we've always said. Uh, Skill doesn't always win. Skill yeah, doesn't USA always win. Was, USA was was one of only two teams that was undefeated in that tournament. Yeah. Going into the final. Yeah. Russia wasn't even undefeated. USA was. Yeah. True. No, you, USA. Right. Said they had, they had a they they were loaded. Ryan Miller kept them in that that game though. Like they were absolutely outplayed by Canada, and Ryan Miller yeah. kept them in that game. Yeah. He's still. The, the other thing that that uh, and I kind of mentioned it early on was um, the Olympics are played. Everybody's humming along. Yeah. There's probably some injuries that go, go along. Um, but the, it'd be interesting if you had the 87 team uh, at their peak, um, you know, not coming off a long summer and then trying to put everything together to get ready, ready for a tournament when you still got a, you know, a full NHL schedule ahead of you. So that's that's the other thing that you got to take into, and that's why they changed their their philosophy. Um, the following Canada Cup, which I attended, and it was a a, a thirty day training camp basically. Uh, Mike Keenan brought in four basically four four teams, and we played round robin, and and before we were, they finally picked the the final roster. Um, you know, because they felt uh, in '87 that that. Uh, you know, they played themselves into shape where in 91 they wanted to be in shape because they knew the other teams would be. Well, let's move into our vote tonight. We're going to be picking the team that we think is better. I mean, this, this is a solid, solid two teams here. Brian, we're going to start with you. Oh, man, put the pressure right on me. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I like I like the forwards a little bit better on the on 87. Um I think the defense comes up pretty, pretty even for the two teams. And so then it comes down to the goaltending. Like I said, I mean, Brodeur getting towards the end of his, end of his dominance, that sort of messes the, it kind of evens up the depth too. So um, I'm going to go with the 87 team just by, just by a hair over, over uh, 2010. Okay. Kevin. 
Um, I actually like the depth on the 2010 goaltending better than I agree than 87. Like I, yeah. Brodor was still playing really well in 2010. He didn't uh, play well in, in that in those Olympics, though. So. <laughs> yeah, but I, I just I feel the depth was better. Longo, I would take Longo and Flurry over Textall and Kelly Rudy in a heartbeat. Um. And you got Brodor and Luongo that, and now Flurry went to the top three for what is it wins games played like, so they got the longevity going there too. Um, defensively, uh, that's tough. Um, I kind of like the defense on 2010 too. Offensively, I think that 10 has more depth, but Gretzky and Lemieux. <laughs> Not really, not really able to stop them. Um, and given the time periods and the competition, ah, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give, I, I'm, I don't want to do it, but I'm gonna give 87 with a little bit of the edge, just because of <laughs> Gretzky and, and Lemieux together. That's insane. So I look at it from this standpoint. I mean, I could go by and, and single who which positions I thought were better, but if they actually played each other, I, I try to think what would occur. If they actually played each other, we're talking like two different styles of hockey here. The goalies in 1987 were no comparison to the type of goalies we see in 2010 and even today in, in 2022. Um, so, like, I would like to see what, an offensive talented team like that 87 team could do against the strong defensive forward group that they have in the 2010 team. Bergeron can eliminate people. I mean, he, that's what he does for a living. He eliminates players. I don't know if he'd be good enough to eliminate Gretzky and Lemieux. That's probably asking too much of anybody. Um, I think if they played each other, I think the 87 team would win. And I think it's because, they would turn it into a score fest. And when that occurs, the 2010 team can't keep up with them. There's no way. So my vote goes to 87. Bill, are we going to get the sweep or are you going to take 2010? It's tough because I would say you go goaltending defense for sure. Um, 2010, like not, no question. Um, and then I, obviously the 87 forwards. Um, I think it's really hard because you're talking about two different eras. Um, I think head-to-head, -head, if it was uh, 80s, 90s hockey head-to-head, -head, it would probably be the 87 team. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be that middle ground guy. I think if it was uh, rules today, uh, I think it would be the 2010. Okay. I think that I th – I, 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 and, and why I'm saying that is – um, it would be really close because you, you have to remember Rick Tockett, Mark Messi, Glenn Anderson, they, they could play that smash mouth hockey with that 2010 group, Bergeron and that sort of thing. So it, the, my big question mark was, would be whether that 87 team would be able to adapt to today's rules. Um, and who knows, maybe they'd be even better because there is no hooking and holding. You think what the numbers that those guys put up with the, the mauling that used to go on, but 
Oh yeah. The two line it's, pass uh, is gone too. The two line pass is gone. Yeah. Imagine what they so, can do with the Yeah, like pass. it's like no disrespect to the 2010 because there it was just I think it was uh probably the best team but I think the best talent was uh, it's just hard when you you're talking about Gretzky and Lemieux to not so I'm going to go era. I think they both are the best for their era. Help, help with that. I'm going to bail on it because you guys have already decided the 87 team. But, um, Fair enough. I, I just think it's 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 dynamics of two totally different eras. Um, the hockey was different. Um, I, I, you, just, you just can't argue with the skill of the forwards in that, that 87 group, but you can't argue with the skill of the forwards uh, in the, the new rule type of game that that in the late late 90s to 2000s kind of thing so it's just different hockey well win for the 1987 Canada Cup team tonight let's move into our Q&A for Bill about his career Brian start us off okay well I'm going to take you back to uh March 17th 1992 you were in Pittsburgh to face the Penguins um and you had to face Mario Lemieux on a penalty shot so Mario was five for five on penalty shots up to that point in his career. So can you take take us back to what it was what was going through your mind as Mario closed in on you there? Well, I think if I remember correctly, I hadn't been scored on either. So it was kind of head to head. Um, and I'm not going to lie. The only reason why he kind of faked high glove. And then he's got a move where he pulls it to the backhand and goes five hole. Um, but he went to a third move and brought it all the way across. And I was still basically on my second move and where he tried to go back five, bring it back five hole on me. And it's only because I was kicking my leg through that I was able to make the save. I'd like to take credit for making the save, but I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit lucky because I was, I was still kind of counterattacking his second move. And I was able to sweep my leg underneath it. Do you know what the score in that game was? Do you have that up there? I'm not sure now. I think it was 7-1 for Pittsburgh. So that was the last thing that I wanted to talk to about at, at oh, the end wow. of that game. And <laughs> and uh, I think it was like 7-1 or something like that. And that's all they wanted to talk about. The fact that that I had stopped Mary Lemieux on a, on a penalty shot after getting drilled 7-1 in a game in Pittsburgh. So anyways... That's a whole other story in itself, but uh, I was the first one to stop him. But you know what? He scored his his share of points once I got traded to Boston. I'll tell you that much. Kevin, I want to take you to the ninety. Uh, you all lead the Oilers to Stanley Cup, and yeah, you end up winning the Conn Smythe. What was it? What was it like? Uh, le- you know, leading them and, and winning that trophy at the end. Well, I think it. I, I think the. The fact that it started off really slow. Uh, we were down three games to one against Winnipeg. Uh, my game one of the playoffs, I wasn't very good. Um, you know, and, I, and, and it just, uh, in typical fashion, the media jumped all over me. Uh, you know, Fierzy was hurt. And, and uh, you know, I had to battle through those uh, demons. And it just became kind of my mantra that I wanted to prove the media wrong, that, that, that I, could, I could lead this group. And, it uh, it was a slow, steady march to the final, and and uh, you know the the pleasure of being able to raise that cup with my uh, teammates and prove everybody wrong at the end was pretty special. So we did a uh, a dynasty show uh, on 
on here with uh, Dan Quinn. And the Oilers won that show. Um, so <laughs> the thing that really killed me is the dismantling of those Oilers. I know financial stability was a big part of that problem, but you were part of that team. If they kept that group together, just in, in your opinion, how many more cups do you think you guys would have won? And, like, how heartbreaking was it for you guys as the players to see the team year after year just sending off all-stars? Yeah, I, I, I was – it was unfortunate that I was part of that dismantling aspect of things and went from the glory days to uh, the dreadful hockey that, that uh, we were part of there for four or five years. But, um, yeah, I think it was, it was a pretty dominant team. Um, you know, we – the fact that we won the fifth one was, I think, the biggest surprise – you know, obviously no Grant Fuhr, no Wayne Gretzky. You go down the list of the guys that were missing, um, you know, but we were, we still had a strong enough core that were still in the, the, the dress room led by, you know, likes of Mark Messier, Yari Curry, Kevin Lowe. Um, you go down the list, we still, Glenn Anderson, you still had that, that core group, Randy Gregg on the back end, you know, Craig Muni. So we, we had a nice blend on our back end that we could defend when we needed to, Um you know, that, that was the surprise one. But I think if, if you keep that 88 group together and, and keep moving forward for another couple of, a couple of years, um, I think they, they've got as good a chance of anybody to, uh, to, to, to run, run it again and, and maybe have one or two others. Could have got that uh, Mario Gretzky Stanley Cup finals we always wanted that never happened. That, that would yeah. have been an yeah. insane time. Now, in 91, didn't you guys – you made it to the East, uh, Western Conference Finals, correct? Lost to Minnesota? Yeah, we lost to Minnesota, yeah. Right, yeah. right. I didn't play in those playoffs. I played one game in, the, in, in, that, in that series. Uh, they went back to Fierzy, and, and we, we played pretty good hockey again. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things where you, uh, you, you really learn uh, because there is a learning curve, and I think the fact that we had guys that, that had learned and – and you know they're kind of passing the torch a little bit, and and you get that that you know that energy and, and that excitement about playing in playoff hockey. And when you're used to doing it, it just it becomes natural. And I think other teams they get scared of it. You know that the ebbs and flows that go through a playoff of trying not to be too high, not be too be too low. Uh, teams struggle with that, and it's the you know the game within the game or the game within the series. Uh, when you have guys that have experienced it that don't get caught up in it too much, it, it's a huge advantage. Brian. So uh, if I understand correctly, you were in the Disney movie Miracle um, about the 1980 U.S. men's hockey team. So can you tell us about that experience? Um, it was interesting because uh, I, I just retired. I moved back to Vancouver, and, and uh, uh, I was skating with uh, – some of the guys from the Canuck alumni and they were uh, a few of the guys were, were involved in the uh, early stages of, of making that movie um, playing for the Russian team. And uh, you know, the fact that I, I just retired, they're like, why don't you come out and try out for the movie and stuff? And I'm like, I can't, you know, I've just decided to retire. I want to spend time with my family. And um, the plan was to do the initial shooting in Vancouver and then Prince George had just opened up their brand new arena 
and they were uh, moving the most of the hockey filming up to Prince George. And I'm, I'm like, I, I'm not going to leave my family for a couple months to go shoot a movie. Well, the, the way the story goes is they, uh, Disney's budget tightened up uh, as things went along. They, they, uh, it was quite a, a big budget to film the movie, and it was going to be one of the greatest hockey movies of all time. So the, the money they put into it uh, started to dwindle down the stretch. And so they decided to uh, keep the movie in Vancouver, and they started shooting out. The, the last part of the movie was shooting out a lot of the Jim Craig um, scenes. And I guess they were struggling to get, get uh, you know, film in the can. And, and my phone was ringing off the hook from, you know, different guys on the alumni and stuff. And they, they kind of schmoozed me. They brought me out to the set and, and put me behind the camera and, and everything and, and convinced me to, to join the group for the last uh, three, four weeks uh, to film out all the Jim Craig stuff. So it was a great experience. It's something that I'd never done before. Uh, you learn really quick. Uh, the movie business is hurry up and wait. We spent a lot of time in the dress room, but you know, we, we had a great group of guys. We had a lot of fun together. The Team USA and, and the uh, NHL and junior guys kind of merged together, had a lot of fun together. We, we had some great competition on the ice when film, film ended. And uh, the irony behind it was um, the director uh, a lot of times kept the, the, the cameras rolling when, we, when we'd scrimmage at the end. And they actually end up using some of that footage because it became more... more uh, you know, lively and lifelike. So it, it, uh, it, it was a fun experience. Kevin. So I'm curious, who, who do you think was, or who do you think had the hardest shot, uh, that you've saved? And then who was like one of the players who was like the most feared player coming on a breakaway? Lemieux on a breakaway, hardest shot on a regular basis was uh, Al McGinnis, but the hardest shot I faced uh, was um, hardest, heaviest shot was uh, Al Ifrady. But he was he was he was hurt uh, in that time when I got traded back to Boston and stuff. But um, but on a regular basis, mainly playing out west, by far Al McGinnis. Darren Poopa said Brett Hall. <laughs> yeah. Put a mark in his hand <laughs> with a slap shot once. Uh, I wouldn't even, wouldn't even compare the two. Wow. wow. Not huh. even comparable. Uh, Brett was by far, like, he, Brett was amazing. He could, he could shoot a puck. You could put a puck anywhere and he could shoot it. He might have had the best um, ability to adapt to where a puck was put and still be able to put the puck on net. Um, but he, Al McGinnis, it, it was scary, just flat out scary. So you've been a coach for the, the LA Kings now for, gosh, over 15 years? It's year 16. Year 16, okay, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You, you took Jonathan Quick under your wings, I'm guessing, and he became really the best goalie in the NHL for several years. Picked up a couple Stanley Cups there for LA. I mean, uh, how did you – how were you part of his career and, and how did you help him reach the levels that he reached? Well, he reached the levels that he reached on his own. Uh, I, I can say I've, there's probably some guidance, but, you know, he's the one that put in the work and, and put in the time to be the goalie that he is. Uh, very high-end hockey IQ. Um, 
just a, a beast in the gym that, you know, strength wise, his, his leg strength is, you know, lateral mobility is off the charts. Um, but I think just with Quickie and, and I from the early days to what he is today is just, um, uh, if you can believe it, taking that, um, a little of that athletic ability away from him and putting in a little bit of technical. And I think that's, that's where his game has really evolved over the years is, is not having to rely on that athletic ability as much. And, but when he needs it, uh, like last night when he made a big save in, in the second period, he still has that ability to make that, that highlight reel save and, and, uh, and, and take away a, a sure goal that, uh, you know, 90% of the goalies in the league can't do. So we'll get you out of here with this real quick. Um, you finished your career with the Oilers. I mean, what did it mean to you to be able to go back there? I know it was only a, a few games, but what did it mean to go back and, and finish your career there? Yeah, I think it, it was it was important. I, I knew my my career was winding down. Um, you know, I, I you know when you have that mentality um, to be, you, you need that mentality, and if you have that mentality to be a number one guy. Uh, you know, ran into some injuries in the latter part of my career. And uh, I found it a, a tough transition going, moving into the number two role. I, I think I just had that. And, you know, I played, played 15 years. It wasn't a short career. So uh, the wear and tear on the body, um, played a lot of hockey and uh, I could have kept playing, but I just, I think I made, I, I made a family choice. Um, I probably had another maybe two, three years left in me and, um, but at that point, I just made a family choice. We'd moved around a lot at the, the last couple of years of my career. And um, my kids were just, uh, my, my uh, oldest had, had been in too many schools for my liking. And, and my, my youngest was, uh, you know, not far away from starting school. So uh, we, we just sat down and, and uh, you know, you have to, your heart has to be in it. Um, you know, the, the physical toll that it puts on you to get ready for a hockey season, you, your, your heart has to be in it. And for me, uh, I was just, I was ready to transition into something else. And, and when that first year that I was done, um, I had no regrets. So I knew I made the right decision. Well, thank you for coming on tonight. Bill Ranford continued success with the LA Kings as well. Uh, we're, we're definitely rooting for you. We appreciate you coming on tonight. I want to make sure everybody, make sure you hit subscribe, whatever you're listening on. Hit that subscribe button. Let's continue to grow that, that viewership and that membership. And thank you for joining us tonight, everyone. Have a great night. Thanks for having me, guys. Be safe.